1: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to In Veritate on member-supported Restoration Radio. In Veritate is a show containing sermons solely by Bishop Donald Sanborn and I am your host Matthew Arthur. We are pleased to present In Veritate, free of charge to our listeners by the gracious sponsorship of Most Holy Trinity Seminary. On this episode, Bishop Sanborn will be discussing Easter. And now we present In Veritate. In the
2: name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Let us first review the events of this Easter Sunday morning. The angel, first our our blessed Lord, rises glorious from the dead and passes through the rock. That's very important. Our Lord did not need to move back the rock in order to rise from the dead and come through it. Remember that he has a glorified body. And just as he walked through, will walk through the wall in order to appear to the apostles, so also he walked through the rock. In this same way, he was born, for he did not open the womb of our Blessed Lady in being born. Because he is God. And so in this second birth, we might say, he comes through the rock the rock being no obstacle to his dominion over life death matter physical laws it is nothing to him the angel descends and terrifies the soldiers it says they were like dead men for angels are terrifying things by their power Theologians say that if an angel had a body, he would be like the sun, that powerful, that big. And so when the angel descends with a uh, an attitude of defending our blessed Lord, of an attitude of being in his service, obviously he is going to take on a terrifying aspect to those soldiers. And he rolls back the rock and sits upon it. And this sitting upon the rock is symbolic of the victory over death. That rock was placed there in order to stop Christ. In order to seal him in death. And a seal was placed on it. That is something by which everyone would know if it were moved so a uh, typically a a ribbon is placed across when, when someone places a seal a ribbon is placed across so that if anyone should move it the ribbon would be broken with a seal a wax seal of either Pontius Pilate or the high priests but in any case it would be known if that seal were broken the the angel rolls back the rock and sits on it he is sitting On death. He is sitting on this rock which was meant to seal Christ in death. The first one to set out toward the tomb is Mary Magdalene. And she sets out while it is still dark. She arrives there and sees the rock rolled back. And she immediately runs back. She does not enter the tomb, but she sees the rock rolled back and she runs back to tell the apostles that the tomb has been broken into and the body taken. The other holy women, independently of her, set out at about dawn to anoint our blessed Lord. They find the rock rolled back and angels sitting inside the tomb who informed them of the resurrection of Jesus. They are afraid and stunned. It says in St. Matthew that the face of the angel appeared like lightning. Lightning is a terrifying thing even though we see it every year no matter how much we we see it. It is a terrifying thing to us. And the face of this angel was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow, it says. So to see this, this angel in there with such a face was to them a very fearful thing. And they are told to inform Peter and the other disciples and in that order Inform Peter and the other disciples of the resurrection. He is risen, he is not here. The holy women depart. In the meantime, Mary Magdalene has fetched Saint Peter and Saint John who come running to her, to the tomb. And there's a little detail where Saint John arrives at the tomb first. But he defers to St. Peter. He holds back. He does not enter. He lets St. Peter enter first. There are many details like that in sacred scripture which manifest the primacy of St. Peter among the apostles. They see no angel. And they are not informed of the resurrection for they are expected to know and to believe our Lord, only a few nights before, in the Last Supper, told them that he, he would rise from the dead on the third day. They are expected to know and to believe, and the empty tomb should be to them a mere indication that all of this has happened. As he said, don't forget Peter and John were witnesses to the transfiguration They saw Christ in his glory only a few weeks before, in his divine glory. And so they are expected to know and to believe. St. John states in his gospel that he did believe, but St. Peter did not yet believe. For St. Luke says, He departed to his home, wondering at that which was come to pass. He didn't know what happened. Was the body stolen? He did not yet believe. And St. Peter and St. John return home. St. Mary Magdalene stays at the tomb. She is forlorn. She is a woman of intense emotion. And she has turned all of the love that she gave over to sin in her life toward our blessed Lord. And she has become a saint. All of her sins have become the coal of the fire of love that she now bears to our blessed Lord. And she is devastated. And she just sits there. In the same way that we come to the blessed sacrament when it is exposed on the altar and we spend time with our Lord. Her sitting at the tomb was her way of spending time with him, being faithful to him. She is convinced that they have taken the body of the Savior and she expresses this to the angel. Where have they taken him? And for this persevering love, for remember she is the first to set out toward the tomb. For her persevering love, she is blessed with the first apparition of Jesus after his resurrection. The first recorded apparition. Most theologians say that the first one to benefit of the apparition of our blessed Lord after his resurrection was his holy mother. But it is not recorded. But it would seem so fitting that having risen from the dead, that he would go immediately to his mother. His mother, who is unconsoled, for she has been through in her heart and in her soul the same passion that our blessed Lord went through on Good Friday. She didn't merely have a a bad day. She was transfixed by the witnessing of all of those things in such a way that she was unconsoled and could not be consoled. For having seen those things happen to her divine Son and having known what she knew, having known from whence He came, from the Holy Ghost, for she did not know man, And having seen those things, she was in a state of sadness that is indescribable. And it would seem fitting then that our blessed Lord go and show himself to his mother and console her. So, but the first recorded apparition of our blessed Lord is to St. Mary Magdalene. She is sitting in the garden near the tomb. And she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. And without looking at his face, just seeing his robe and his feet. Sobbing. She offers to she says, where have you placed him? Because I will take the body and I will bring it home, so to speak. I will take care of him. As if she could do that. But all she knows is that she wants to take care of our Lord. And our Lord says to her, Maria. And she looks at him, throws herself at his feet and says, Master. That's a beautiful, touching scene in the gospel. So on every Easter Sunday, we must be similarly stunned by the events of this day these people of the gospel are real people who have seen real events and they are in shock our Lord has risen from the dead to rise from the dead is a shocking thing to us because death is so final It removes from us any possibility of repairing ourselves. It is the end. And when loved ones pass away, we feel that sting of death. But our blessed Lord opened his eyes on this day by his divine power and restoring life to his own body. He overcame death. And it is a shock that such a thing could happen. And so the message of Easter is to see our blessed Lord as our true hope of eternal life. By the resurrection, Christ proves that he is truly the Son of God and therefore has the same nature as God. It silences all argument. Anything that you could say against our blessed Lord is silenced by the resurrection from the dead. It silences all of the rationalists. It silences the atheists, the agnostics, the pagans. For if you rise from the dead on your own power... You have the power to give resurrection to everyone else. And there is really no other argument. And there is nothing else to say. And that is why you see today. The resurrection of our blessed Lord being attacked. As a myth. But they're too late. For that. For to attack the credibility of these events two thousand years after they have happened is really quite absurd for we are so far away from these people and these events that to attack their credibility really is an attack upon your own credibility for our blessed Lord's resurrection was never attacked in ancient times they accused him of rising by false powers, evil powers, and so forth. But the fact of his resurrection was not attacked even by the greatest enemies of the Catholic Church. So they are too late. For if this had been a false event, it would have been immediately exposed and ridiculed by the chief priests and the Pharisees by the Romans, the pagans, the Greeks. When St. Paul went out with all of his holy boldness and preached our Lord Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead to, to pagans in Athens and Corinth. When St. Peter went to Rome and preached resurrection from the dead. Do you not think that one of the first questions in their mind would have been, did this man truly rise from the dead? And that is why St. Paul says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. And so those who attack the resurrection today are too late. And they are the ones that appear absurd. And so, the logic is clear. If our Lord has risen from the dead, then He is the author of life. Then dominion has, then death has no dominion over Him. Then everything He says is true, because He is God. Everything He says is true, if He has risen from the dead. Then, to gain eternal life, we must believe in him and obey his will. For to be against him would be to embrace death. Then, because he is the one true God and author of life, there is no other God. And there is no other name by which men shall be saved, as St. Peter says. That is, outside of Christ, there is no eternal life, only perpetual death and punishment for sin. And from this follows that every church or religion, which is not the true church of Christ, is false. For it separates men from Christ and leads them to eternal death. That is the pure logic of the resurrection of Christ. And so if all of this is true, and if we celebrate this feast today, which is the central feast of our holy religion, why do we continue to embrace the works of death? Why do we look to the world for our life and happiness? Why do we continue to embrace the works of death when we have resurrection at our fingertips? The works of death are sin. And that is why St. Paul urges us to lead pure and holy lives in the epistle of the Mass, which is a little obscure. But I will explain it to you very quickly. He says, Brethren, purge out the old leaven. Leaven is a symbol of corruption among the Jews. Leaven, that is yeast. That you may be a new paste, that is a new dough for the bread. As you are unleavened, that means you are purified. For Christ, our Pasch, is sacrificed. Christ is our new Paschal Lamb. He has been sacrificed and you have been washed in his blood. Therefore, let us feast, not with the old leaven. That means put aside all of the corruption of your old morals. Put that aside. Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. The same idea. But with the unleavened bread, and here we must think of the Holy Eucharist, with the unleavened bread, of sincerity and truth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: We would like to remind you that you are listening to In Veritate on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and I am presenting sermons by Bishop Donald Sanborn on the subject of Easter Sunday. We want to remind you that In Veritate is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. And now for the continuation of In Veritate.
0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. It is unfortunate that most people see only Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Holy Week is something like a passion play. It is a sacred and intense drama which is portrayed not by actors, but by symbols and events gestures, and many texts of sacred scripture and the sacred liturgy. What is acted out is the meeting of light and darkness, of life and death, the struggle between them, the struggle between the temporary and apparent victory of death over Christ, and finally, our Lord's triumph over death, and darkness by his glorious resurrection. On Palm Sunday, we see our Lord's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He goes to the place which should accept him as the Messiah and glorify him as such and bring to the whole world the source of light and of life. But just as they did many times in the Old Testament, the Jews became unfaithful to their original vocation and their original fervor and became disobedient to Almighty God. Holy Week begins with tenebrae of Holy Thursday, which occurs on Wednesday night. Tenebrae means darkness and each night of tenebrae commemorates an aspect of the passion of Christ Holy Thursday tenebrae Emphasizes the betrayal of Judas the plotting of the Pharisees and of the chief priests and the agony in the garden This is so to speak the intellectual and emotional side of the passion That is, the infidelity of those who should be faithful to him, including the apostles who first sleep and then flee and then deny him, as Peter did. Tenebrae ends in darkness, in thunder, and in the earthquake, commemorating all of those things that took place at the Passion of Christ when he died. On Holy Thursday morning, the church is in a completely different mood. It is one of the greatest joy amid the surrounding of darkness. It is the final moment with Jesus. Our Lord gives to the apostles his New Testament to be sealed in his blood. He gives them the priesthood. He gives them the Mass. He gives them the Blessed Sacrament. And so when the Gloria is intoned on Holy Thursday, all of the bells ring, for it marks the arrival of the Blessed Sacrament into the Church and into the world, and with it the Holy Mass and the priesthood. These precious gifts arrive, all three, our only true consolation in this earth of darkness. For where would we be without the blessed sacrament, without the holy sacrifice of the Mass, without the priesthood? There would be no church, and we would all be in the darkness of our minds and the darkness of evil moral lives. But then, after the joy of Holy Thursday, the the reality of the Passion returns after Mass. Our Lord is taken to his place of solemn suffering, which is the agony in the garden. So he is taken off the altar and brought into an altar of repose, which represents his agony in the garden. The sacred host is placed in a chalice, and this chalice in turn is placed in the altar of repose. And there the people come and watch an hour with him in order to console him in his agony. And all of the flowers and the candles that surround this sacred host in the altar of repose represent our devotion and our prayers of consolation to him that is suffering, the consolation that he did not receive from his apostles who slept during this time. And then the priests return and the altar is stripped in commemoration of the stripping of our Lord's garments on the Mount of Calvary. The altar becomes bare and stark. Christ is not here. He has been led away to the slaughter. At tenebrae of that evening, the church contemplates the physical sufferings of Christ and finally his death. As always, Tenebrae ends in darkness and thunder and earthquake, showing an apparent victory for the enemies of Christ and for those who love darkness and sin. On Good Friday, the church reminds us of the first Pasch, that of the Passover in the Old Testament, when the Jews were to be freed from the oppression of the Egyptians which is a symbol in the Old Testament of the oppression of the devil upon our souls by original sin by temptation by what we owe him as servants of sin when they were to be freed they were told to take lambs and slaughter them and paint their blood around the doorposts so that the angel of death would not visit their homes. And the angel of death arrived and killed the firstborn of every Egyptian including their animals but skipped the houses of those that were painted with the blood of the lamb and they consumed this lamb. And it was the principal sacrifice of the Jews in the Old Testament. And that is why to this day, they, the Jews, celebrate Passover. That was the first Pasch. It prefigured the true second Pasch of the New Testament, in which the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is slaughtered. In payment for sin, freeing us not from the natural death that the angel of death inflicted upon the Egyptians, but from the death of the soul which mortal sin brings to us. And that is the true Pasch. And St. Paul says it in today's epistle, epistle. Our Pasch is Christ and our Lord on Good Friday in the sacred liturgy is crucified and dies. The the story of the passion, the gospel is read and sung solemnly during that point in the sacred liturgy. And then the priest opens up to our view, Christ crucified, he takes the veil off Christ crucified, and all of the veils come off the crucified Christ, all of the images of the crucified Christ, so that we behold our blessed Lord dying and dead on the cross. And then on bended knee, we come and kneel down before our Lord crucified and kiss his feet. Then the priest goes to the altar of repose and brings, so to speak, Christ from the, from the Garden of Olives to the altar, where there the mass of the pre-sanctified, that is, the pre-consecrated host, is offered. And Christ is sacramentally immolated and consumed, just as the Paschal Lamb was immolated and consumed in the Old Testament. That night at Tenebrae, the church contemplates our Lord's descent into hell and the darkness of the tomb, as well as his knowledge of his future resurrection. Again, darkness is the victor. On Holy Saturday morning, in the darkness of the morning, the church begins by blessing the new fire from a flint as if from nothing which is a symbol of light and life. And this blessed fire is placed on the three-pronged candle, which is a symbol of the blessed Trinity, for it is by the power of God that the sacred humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ will be brought back to life. It is by the power of God, because our Lord Jesus Christ is God, that the human soul of our blessed Lord will be restored to his body in the tomb. And hence we begin by the power of God, the Holy Trinity. And this three-pronged candle is brought into the church and with the fire, the new fire, the blessed fire, the Paschal candle is lit, symbolizing the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Then the church gives us in 12 readings the history of man. First is creation and then the many ways in which God began to save the human race from sin in the Old Testament. We read the prophets, we read about Noah, we read Genesis, we read about Abraham sacrificing his son. All of these ways in which God Started to save man from his sins. When this is done, the church blesses the baptismal water, and this is most fitting because baptismal water is a symbol of the blood of Christ. It is obviously the time to make this holy water on Holy Saturday in the midst of the contemplation and commemoration of the sacred passion of Christ. The flood and the crossing of the Red Sea are figures in the Old Testament of the baptismal water in the New Testament. The water which came from our Lord's side mixed with blood is also symbolic of the baptismal water. And for this reason, the oil is poured into the baptismal water to signify the blood and water that came from our Lord's side. Then Easter arrives in anticipation on Holy Saturday. The altar is transformed into an altar of joy on Holy Saturday. The priest appears in splendid vestments. The Gloria is sung. The bells are rung. The Alleluia, the song of victory, is solemnly intoned. The war is over. Light and life have been victorious over death and darkness. Easter Sunday today is therefore the coronation of Christ's work all during this week. It is the splendorous manifestation of his victory over death which he accomplished on the cross. Because Christ is God, death has no dominion over him and the apparent victory of the devil on Calvary, acting through all of the great sinners be it Judas, Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, is only a temporary victory, and now Christ is victorious. This victory of Christ must now be ours. Our Lord has given everything in order that we have victory over death and darkness. He has given his blood in the waters of baptism to wash away our sins He has given us sacramental absolution from sin should we fall again into sin after baptism. He has given us the grace of the Holy Ghost which we will commemorate on Pentecost so that we might have an interior divine life and a friendship with him. He has given us the church to enlighten us and guide us and nourish us toward the goal of heaven. Most of all, he has given us himself in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. What other gift could he give us? What is left in his divine treasure chest that he has not given us? Once the waters of baptism have cleansed us from sin, the only way in which we can end up in the clutches of death and darkness is through our own voluntary choice of those things. Saint Augustine said, Christ has chained the vicious dog, and we can only be bitten by him if we go up and voluntarily come close to him and permit ourselves to be bitten by him. We shall have death and darkness as our lot if we do the works of death and the works of darkness in this life. Let Christ's victory, which today we celebrate with such great enthusiasm, with the alleluia of victory over and over again, let this victory be our victory over sin, death, and darkness. Let the joy of Easter be a joy not only of the risen Christ, and for the risen Christ, but a joy for ourselves, for our participation in His divine life and a future participation in His glory. If we rejoice in the victory of Christ, then let us perform the works of victory, the works of prayer, the works of charity, the works of obedience to the commandments, the works of resistance to temptation. Let us perform the works of faith, the works of the repudiation of the darkness of heresy and error, the works of hope in future resurrection from the dead and in the life of the world to come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen.
1: Thank you for joining us on In Veritate. If you have any questions for Bishop Donald Sanborn or feedback on this episode, please contact us at inveritate at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to him. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even simply an Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you.
0: This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to novusordowatch.org. That's novusordowatch.org.